Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, we're going to have a good time today. Open your Bibles or your devices to Daniel chapter 3, and uh, we're going to continue through this amazing prophetic book found in the Old Testament. The title of today's message is Authentic Courage in a Counterfeit World. Authentic Courage in a Counterfeit World, and that's what we're going to see today. Now, uh, let's define those words. First, authentic. It means an undisputed origin, genuine. Okay, now, counterfeit. Counterfeit is made in exact imitation of something uh, important given to deceive or defraud. And that's the world we live in. We live in a counterfeit world. Everywhere we look, we see counterfeits. Everywhere we look are opportunities to be deceived or defrauded by something that is not genuine. And what this world needs right now is authentic courage and genuine courage. Uh, When I think about... uh, counterfeits I think about fakes and frauds excuse me I think about fakes and frauds and several years ago I've told this story we took my wife and I took our daughters to New York City okay if you've been to New York City you got to go to Chinatown anybody been to Chinatown say I have if you go to Chinatown let me tell you what you're looking for a fraud that's what you're looking for in Chinatown you're not there to meet your friends from Asia Okay, you're there to uh, buy something that's an imitation and so we went down a little alley We went around another little alley, we went up a set of stairs, we went through one room, around another room, kind of slid under a wall behind a curtain, and it was the Louis Vuitton Mecca, all right? And so we bought uh, some bags there, not just one, we bought multiple bags there because nothing, nothing says Jesus is the reason for the season like a counterfeit purse, okay? And then I remember another time we were in uh, uh, Jamaica, we'd gone on a cruise, and, and we were in Jamaica, I think, at an island hop, and... And, and, and they had uh, sunglasses on this tree, and it was Ray-Bans. And they were the real McCoy. I knew it because they were $10. And so I got me a real McCoy Ray-Ban, and, uh, and that night, man, I was admiring these glasses. They were so cool, man, and they looked good. And I was looking, I got to looking, and they weren't Ray-Bans. They were Ray-Bonds. The A was an O, okay? But it was so small, you know, it's just little bitty cursive writing. They were Ray-Bonds, okay? Now, that's the world we live in. We live in a world that's full of fakes and counterfeits. And even in our spiritual journey, in our walk with Jesus, in our relationship with God, there is a fraudulent activity. There's a fraudulent presentation, a counterfeit out there trying to satisfy that hole that's within us. You know, for years, theologians have said that inside every human being is a God-shaped hole. And what we do often, rather than allowing God to fill that God-shaped hole with Jesus, his son, we try to fill that hole with things of the world, counterfeits and fakes. And so we do it through relationship. We do it through success. We do it through education and degrees and initials by our names. We do it with material possessions. We do it with pornography. We do it with, uh, with all of this junk, drugs and alcohol, trying to fill a void in the center of our soul that is shaped like Jesus. And so it always exists, and it's always out there. Now, today in chapter 3, we're going to see probably the most famous Bible story, one of them in all of the Bible, in particular in the Old Testament. And so if you were raised in church or went to Bible school or you had parents who read you Bible stories, I'll guarantee you've heard this story. And, and we can learn some valuable things. 
Now, before we get into the Daniel account written in your Bible, in my Bible, in, in uh, chapter 3 of Daniel, uh, I want to go back because there is a Bible called the Septuagint Bible. It is the Old Testament in Greek, and it's got some valuable historic information in it. One of those things is it begins Daniel chapter 3, and it says, In the 18th year of King Nebuchadnezzar. In the 18th year of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what that means is um, if about 15 years has passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now, the reason that's important is because most of us, when we hear the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the burning of the fiery furnace, we think of little boys. And we teach it as little boys. Well, it's probably not the case. They probably weren't little boys. They were probably in their 30s. So they were in their early 30s now, 15 years has passed, and we enter into chapter 3. Uh, these guys, you got to put yourself in these shoes before you understand this story. So now for the last 18 years, they have been, do I need to use a handheld, fellas? Is that annoying? It's annoying me. Uh, it, I, I, for 18 years, they have been in Babylon. They've been deported. They, they, they were forced to walk 1,000 miles from home. They've been emasculated, their eunuchs. They've been re-educated. They've been renamed. They never dated a girl. They never married. They never had any relationship with women. It's just these Jewish guys in a foreign land. And today, when, sometimes when you think, we've talked the last couple of weeks, uh, that uh, the title of the message was seriously, just when you think it can't really get much worse, sometimes it seems like it does. And so in, in uh, Daniel chapter 3, I want you to, to begin in verse 1. I want you to see a counterfeit God. We're talking about authentic things in a counterfeit world. And I want you to see what happens in their story. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, King Nebuchadnezzar had a golden statue made. And it was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he erected it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, what I want you to know about this is... Uh, the, Babylon, we talked about it, it is a biblical worldview. Excuse me, it is a worldview, not a biblical worldview. View. It's opposite of a biblical worldview. And it still exists today. But at the same time, it's a very real place. It's modern-day Iraq. So in the plains of Iraq, on the plains of Dura, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the most powerful man in the then world, he had captured all of these nations around him, accumulated all their gold, and Nebuchadnezzar had this idea, this mindset, that what the world needs more of is me. And so the, the way I can get the world more of me is I'm going to, uh, to build a 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide statue, and I'm going to lath it in gold. Now, if you think about it on the surface, you don't even notice, but this thing is disproportionate. It's got a 10 to 1 ratio. It's like I'm, I'm 74 inches tall. It would be like me being 74 inches tall and seven and a half inches wide. Well, I don't meet that criteria, okay? So I'm going to call the statue the Big Skinny, okay? And so he's like a missile, like the Washington Monument, lathed in gold, shining, alluring for the world to see. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't interested in land, acquiring land. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't interested in... in uh, Wealth necessarily, Nebuchadnezzar was worried about, concerned about being worshipped. He wanted to be more than human. And, and a lot of times these world leaders, that's exactly what they do. And so he erects this missile, this big skinny, out in the plain of Dura. Now the second thing I want you to see is because he's always copying God. He, he can't create, so he imitates. He, he can't fabricate, so he just 
uh, he just counterfeits. The second counterfeit, besides counterfeit God, is a counterfeit law. I mean, God had commandments, and he knew that from these Hebrew boys, so he wants to create a law or a command. Look what happens at his counterfeit law. So verse 2 says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent out a summons to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other authorities of the province to attend the dedication of the statue that he had erected. Let me pause right there. So who's at the party? Everybody's at the party. What do these guys do? Listen, historians don't even know what these politicians do. It reminds me of 2020. We got a bunch of politicians. Ain't nobody knows what they do. They got fancy names. They show up at the big parties, but nobody knows what they do. It's the same back then. They all came to the big show so they can check out the big skinny. All right, now, what's, what's what happens now? He says, so the satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all the other provincial um, Authorities assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected. And they were standing in front of the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. Now, now here's what happens. He, he says, then the herald made a loud proclamation to you, O peoples, nations, and languages, a language groups, the following command is given. Here's his commandment. He says, he says uh, oh, it's given. Is that it right there? Okay. So here's what happens. He says, now, we're all here. You've shown up for the party. This is what we're going to do. We're going to make a noise, and we're going to worship this big uh, missile, the big skinny. Now, historians estimate that there's about 300,000 people that show up for this party. In other words, everybody in the land showed up to, for the uh, inauguration of the big skinny. Um, the politicians are present. All of the culture is present. Everybody is represented. Now, do you remember in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and he didn't know what it meant, so he told, the, he told all of his people to, to, to come and, and first tell him what the dream was, secondly, to interpret the dream. And Daniel was the only one that could do it. And in his dream, there was a golden head. And Daniel said, the golden head is you, Nebuchadnezzar, because you, are, you have a nation of gold, because they had, they had conquered all of these other nations. And so, so now he's going to erect it because he, the head's not enough. He can't thwart what the dream has said, so he's going to get the most out of his short-lived uh, kingdom. He's going to take advantage of the moment. And, and what's funny is we do the same thing today. We, we, we think, we start hearing, especially when we turn about uh, 2025, we start realizing, man, life's moving on. I better, I better uh, make a name for myself. I better have a better job. I better work hard, or I better, I better, you know, find a beautiful spouse and have a wonderful family and live in a wonderful house. I never thought about that before. You need a, need a, I need a beautiful spouse to, to put her in my beautiful house, and you know, and so, and so we can drive around in our beautiful cars and pull a beautiful boat behind our beautiful car and have a beautiful 401k with Jeremy Cox, and we can have all this wonderful stuff. I got to build a name for myself. We do the same thing. We try to make a name for ourselves because we realize we have one shot at this thing. And you see, that's the counterfeit. That's the counterfeit command to worship something other than God. Let me tell you something about the enemy. Satan does not care who it is and what it is you worship as long as it doesn't look like the one who created you. He doesn't care. You pick it, you name it, you describe it, you define it. He does not care who you worship as long as it doesn't look like the one who created you. So we have a counterfeit God. He generates a counterfeit 
law. And now we're going to see a counterfeit worship. Now watch this. He says, whoever does not bow down and pay homage will immediately be thrown into the midst of the blazing fire. Therefore, when they all heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the trigon, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, all the people's nations and language groups began bowing down and paying homage to the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had erected. Go back to that last verse. I, I just think this is funny. Okay, if you're going to have a big show, you want a big band. All right, let's fire up the band. Look at the band. It's like Daniel, like he worked at Guitar Center. He's got everything on the planet. We don't even know what this stuff is. We guess it pipes. That's bagpipes. I mean, they got bagpipes showing up for the big show. It says a trigon. You know, Caleb, next week, if you don't mind, bring a trigon. Let's, let's hear the trigon. We don't know what that is. Okay, a zither. Anybody got a zither in your closet you want to bring and show us? We don't know what that stuff is. The point is this. The big skinny is on the plain of Dura, and the king says, we're going to worship. We're firing up the band. I don't care what you play. If it's a juice harp or, you know, a pair of sticks, show up for the band because it's a big show. And then he says, and when it starts playing, you will bow down, and you will worship this statue. Now, we got to imagine ourselves in their shoes, all right? He says, you're going to bow down and worship. And if you don't, we're going to throw you in the fire. Now imagine that on a Sunday morning, next week maybe, or maybe at the end of this sermon before we sing the last song, what if the leader, the preacher said, here's what we're going to do. The band's going to come, and we're going to worship a true and living God. And the one that we have relation with, uh, relationship with through Jesus, his son. Okay, We're going to sing to him. And if you say that you're saved, raise your hand. Everybody raise their hand because of peer pressure. Okay, yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, then here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to sing and worship, uh, sing to and worship Jesus. And if you don't, while you're looking at the words on the screen, we've, we've, uh, told, we've got a few plants in here. They're going to come over and karate chop you right in the throat if you ain't singing. Okay? Now, you'd be one of two things. You'd either be looking around instead of at the words, or you'd be singing. Okay? And that's not what goes on here. It, it, it's forced. It's mandatory worship. And here in this church, it's not mandatory. Listen, God is so gracious like this. He invites us into an opportunity to worship him. And sometimes I get frustrated. Sometimes the people who lead the worship, Caleb gets frustrated because they, they practice, they sing, they get their heart ready, and they, 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 they lead us in worship, and yet we don't sing. I'm not going to say, if you don't sing, say, I don't, because it would be, it, be quiet like it is when we sing sometimes. But here's what's odd about that. The world offers an opportunity to worship and sing with them, and we do it, okay? We may do it with uh, Taylor Swift, you know? We may do it with, uh, with um, wh whoever your favorite band is. Who's your, fav who's your favorite person? Who who's your favorite secular musician? Somebody tell me. Who? He ain't secular. He's Christian. That's cheating. That ain't all you listen to. Tell me somebody. Jason Aldean. Anybody ever listen to Jason Aldean? Yeah, you sing with him. Don't act like you don't. Okay? What's the guy's name? The black guy who sounds like... What's his name? Post Malone. Anybody listen to Post Malone? Don't act like you ain't heard of him. You sound like you're singing through a tin can. You know what I'm talking about. Okay? So here's the deal. People sing the radio, man. You're driving down the road. I see them all the time. Girls especially. 
they're singing, man, they got something going on like they're in concert. In our own personal family, we have a star who sings many songs, many songs that she doesn't know the words to. Okay? Oh, she comes out of the shoot strong with a word or two. I'm not mentioning any names. She comes out of the shoot strong with a word or two, and then if you turn the radio down, it instantly goes from words to, okay? You, so she wanted to sing, okay? Turn it up, let's sing. Now, I got a question. Why is it so easy to sing with Taylor Swift or Jason Aldean or whoever it is and it's just not easy to come to church on Sunday and sing to the one who created us and who is madly in love with us and who has lavished his grace on us through his personal sacrifice on a cross. I don't get that, okay? We've got to get back in understanding that there's a counterfeit God with a counterfeit law who desires counterfeit worship, and we've got to get back to the real thing. Acts chapter 5, verse 59 it says, but Peter and the apostles replied, threatened with their lives, we must obey God rather than people. That's what we got to get to. I ain't listening to you. I, I, I serve God. He is the only one who deserves my worship. Number four, I want you to see now a counterfeit concern. Because sometimes when, if you don't surrender to the ways of the world, you don't dive into the things that the peer pressure says you should dive into, all of a sudden they want to be concerned about you. They're going to help you out. Look what happens. It says in verse 8, Now at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and they brought malicious accusations against the Jews. And they said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued an edict, O king, that everyone must bow down and pay homage to the golden statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the trigon, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music. And whoever does not bow down and pay homage must be thrown into the midst of, the, of a furnace. He says now in verse 12, but there are Jewish men whom you appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men have not shown proper respect to you, O king, and they don't deserve your God. Uh, they don't serve your gods. And they don't pay homage to the golden statue that you have erected. All right, now, counterfeit concern. They go to the king and say, listen, there's some guys that you've placed over us, and they, they're not doing this right. You said very simply, we're going to strike up the band the big skinny is going to be out in front of us, and we're going to bow down and worship. And if we don't, you get thrown in the fire. It's just that simple. You couldn't be more clear, O king. But there are some guys in our midst who are not doing it well. Now, what is he describing? Here's the story. 300,000 people estimated at the party, okay? He says, bow down when the band starts playing. So they start bowing down, three left standing. You're talking about peer pressure. 297,000, whatever, I mean, 299,997. I think I did my math right, okay? All of them bowing down. And three 30-something-year-old guys standing there going, we have messed up, right? And it would have been one thing if everybody was seated. And the king said, everybody stand up when the bands play. No biggie. The only people that would know that the three didn't stand up were this little circle around them. No, that's not the case. They all hit the dirt when the band started playing, except for three young men. Now, we live in a world that pretends to have peer pressure. Yeah, I went out with my buddies. There was four of us. Okay, they started drinking beer. All three of them were drinking, and so I joined them. Whew, you, way to go. Okay, 
You know what I mean? I mean, that's one example. I could give you more, okay? I've shared the story about being in sales, and, and we were at a big uh, customer appreciation outing, played golf all day. They, a lot of them drank all day, and I didn't drink. And then at night, they were all drunk, a bunch of grown men. They wanted to go to a strip joint. So my boss called me. He said, you're the only one that don't drink. You need to drive them to the strip club. And I said, okay. And I hung up. And I said, Lord, what am I supposed to do here? I didn't care about getting fired, but I... But, if I didn't take them, they're drunk. They're going to go. The Lord said, take them. Just don't go in. <laughs> okay. So I put them in the vehicle, drove them down the strip club, parked in the back, in the booth, in the corner, in the dark. Okay? Nobody going to see me. And they started getting out, and they said, you're not going in? I said, no. Yeah, you are. You're going in with us. I said, I'm not going in there. I don't need it. There's nothing in there I need. Why aren't you going in there with us? I got a wife at home. I got two daughters at home. I'm a deacon in my church. I teach Sunday school. The last thing I need is to get arrested with you all in there. All right? And so, and so we all have opportunities to take a stand for who our king really is. And these men were willing to do it. Now, I want you to notice something. The Chaldeans are the one bringing the charges against the Jews. Okay? Anti-Semitism is a word that you hear commonly today. Anti-Semitism is a hatred and a racial view of the Jewish community, okay? And I, my heart hurts for anybody who's mistreated. I don't care if they're poor people. I don't care if they're drug addicts. I don't care if they're people sadly addicted to alcohol. I don't care if they're black. I don't care if they're white. I don't care if they're Asian or Hispanic. If somebody is poorly treated, my heart goes out for that. Why? Because I'm a Christian, because the God of the universe lives in me, and because he cares, I care. And it has to be the same for you if you're a Jesus follower. But sometimes, if we really want to know what racial persecution looks like, we got to consider the Jews. The Jews have been, have been under attack since the days of the nation's inception under the leadership of Abraham. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Medes, the Persians, move it forward. Rome, uh, France, Italy, Spain, uh, and ultimately the German, the German uh, leadership under the leadership of Adolf Hitler. And even today when you turn on the, the news, oh, there's peace in the Middle East. That's a lie. Okay? They still hate the Jewish people. Okay? And, and, it, and it looks like this, always standing in opposition. Now, here's the question. So why would they be ridiculed? What would possess them or move them enough to where 300,000 people nearly are all bowing down when the band plays and, and they're still standing? It, if it was like in church today, well, I, I didn't sing because I, I, I don't like that song. That's not the reason. I didn't sing because I didn't know the words. I didn't bow. I got this bad leg. Now, they could have in that moment said, all right, boys, here's what we're going to do. We'll, we'll pretend like we are worshiping. We're going to bow, but they won't know what's in our heart. We'll be bowing in allegiance to Yahweh. We'll bow to God, but they'll think we're bowing to the big skinny. Right? I mean, it would work. That would be a good plan. That's not their plan. Their plan is they cannot bow. Their plan is we have a God and he does not look like that. I'm reminded of a story where 
this uh, family was sitting around the table and they had a little girl. And the little girl was kind of unruly and kind of strong-willed. And, and it was dinner time and she wanted to stand up in her chair, you know. And so the dad said, listen, baby, it's supper time. You are going to sit down in that chair and you're going to eat your supper. Or I'm going to take you in there and I'm going to spank you. She said, okay. So she sat down in the chair and she said, daddy. He said, what? She said, I may be sitting down on the outside but I'm standing up on the inside. All right? Now, they could have done that. Nobody would have known. But there is a law. You remember when the king wanted to give them the king's food and the king's wine, and they said, Daniel said, listen, just give us water and beans, our vegetables, because we can't eat that stuff. It will defile us. We have a law from God about what we're supposed to eat. Well, listen, these same Hebrew boys, these young men, they had a law from God about who they worshipped. And it's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. It says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water below. He says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Pretty clear. He says, For I, the Lord your God am a jealous God responding to the transgressions of fathers by dealing with children to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me he says listen I've got rules that you must live by you cannot worship anybody else or that sin can lead to a curse that lasts for multiple generations parents let me just wake you up right here it is critically important that you live godly lives before your little boys and your little girls because if you're not careful you establish a generational curse that carries on and on and on and on one reason I stand adamantly opposed to alcohol I don't care what you do okay but the one reason I stand against it is because I see the damage of it Another reason is because I have a history in my family on both my mom's side and my dad's side of people who thought, yeah, I'm going to drink, and it decided to drink them. And so I don't like the stuff. I, I have a, a, an office in there with chairs that have stories, and the common denominator is that. And so th that's an example. We, if we're not careful, we establish curses that carry on to our children. It's kind of scary. All right. So now, how should we live our life then? If we're not supposed to have other idols, how should we live our life then if we're not supposed to worry about what something else can offer us, what this world can offer us, this counterfeit God? If we, if, if, if we don't want anything from it, where do we get what we need? Sometimes there's a passage, Psalm 23, okay, 23rd Psalm. Most of us are familiar with it. Most of the time you hear it at a funeral. Unfortunately, that's about the, most, the only time you ever hear it. It should be our life. It should describe who we are before the God who created us. Here it is, Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. When I was a kid, back up there, most translations, King James says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And reading comprehension was not my strong suit, let's be honest with you. Okay? When I read that, I said, why is this a great psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I don't want him. That's the way I read it. I, it may, didn't make no sense. And, 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 then, and then another translation came along. It says, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't have to want for anything because he gives me everything I want. Now, watch this. Verse 2, he says, he takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing waters. He restores my strength. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. Even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I'm 
fear no danger. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they reassure me. You prepare a feast before me in the plain side of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. Surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days, and I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life. That should be our prayer. That should be our life. That should be our commitment to God, that we worship him and he takes care of us, and we don't have to look anywhere else. So, now that we have all of the counterfeit world, and now we, we have these guys who have been told you got to worship, and, and, and they're not going to do it. Now we've got a judge that comes along, a fake judge. You know, there's always somebody who wants to play judge. Fake judge, counterfeit judge. I'll just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. You're not it. Your pastor's not it. Sometimes people say, I don't really want to go to church. I don't feel like being judged. Well, if you're going to church and you're getting judged, you don't need to go to that church, okay? This book judges us. And sometimes I say, if I speak truth, somebody say, well, uh, I think you, why, who, who made you judge? Who died and made you judge? Nobody. But what God has already judged, when we share truth, we're not judging, we're sharing truth. And so that's what I do as a preacher. Sometimes people feel judged. It's not because I judged, because I'm, I, can't, I can't, you can't judge me, I can't judge you. But when God's truth judges something, we just share the truth. Now we have a counterfeit judge. Look what happens in verse 13. It says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a fit of rage, he demanded that they bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him. So they brought them before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, fellas, that you don't serve my gods and that you don't pay homage to the golden statue, the big skinny that I erected? Now if you are ready... Okay, if you're ready, he's going to be a gracious judge. Why? He's a counterfeit. He's trying to be like God, who is gracious. He says, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the trigon, the harp, the pipes, and all the kinds of music, you must bow down and pay homage to the statue that I had made. And if you don't pay homage to it, you will immediately be thrown into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Now, who is that God who can rescue you from my power? So we have a counterfeit judge. Now what he does is he knows about God. I want you to understand something. Satan knows more about God than you do. Satan was with God as the anointed angel. Before his rebellion, before his prideful I wills, before he was cast from heaven with a third of the angels, he knew God. He walked with God. He saw God. He understood God is amazing and beautiful and perfect. But at the same time, at the same time, now he's out of that world, so he counterfeits it. He counterfeits it. And, and God is judge. I want you to know something. One day we all stand before Judge Jesus, not Judy, okay? Not Nanine or whatever, Jamine, Janine, what's her name? Janine. Is it Janine? Judge Janine? Okay, it's not her. Okay? Judge Jesus is who we all stand before. The Bible says Jesus has earned the right to be judged. He and he alone. Okay? All of us stand before Judge Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something. When Jesus comes back for his church, which I believe is it's imminent, all the prophecies are fulfilled. I believe it's soon because we live in an upside-down world. I believe when Jesus comes back, the Bible says when Jesus comes back, he takes the church back with him. 
Those who are dead in Christ, Christians who are already dead, they come out of their graves, they're reunited with their spirits, which have already gone on to be with the Lord. The Bible then says those of us that remain, we're, we're caught up. That's the rapture. We're, we're caught up to meet them in the air. Our bodies leave from this earth, and they get glorified, okay? They get equipped to make the trip. All of us then stand before Jesus, and we answer for our words and deeds. Now, it's a little scary. Thought, well, man, I thought I got that taken care of when I got saved. All right, you did. When Jesus judges you, if you're a Christian, you give an account. You watch your life unfold before you, okay? And then it gets a big stamp over the top of it in the color of blood. And it says, redeemed. All these sins have been paid. And, and then the party starts. Seven years of, of hell on this earth called the tribulation. Party in heaven for seven years. Rewards are given, a bunch of stuff. And then Jesus returns with us after seven years to rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. Now listen, at the end of it all, those that rejected Jesus, they get to stand before Jesus as judge as well. These are the people that in Revelation, they cry out and say, we want to be judged for our works. They want to say, listen, Jesus, okay, we were wrong. Maybe you are God, looks like you are. We want to stand, we're going to stand in front of you. I think if you'll put it all on the scale, you'll find out that I was better than I was badder, okay? You take all of my good stuff, put it on this side, all of my bad stuff, put it on this side, you'll find out I was gooder than badder, okay? It doesn't work that way. One sin is all it takes of unrighteousness out from under the blood of Jesus for us to be cast, to be judged and to be cast into hell. All right, so what do we do? What do these guys do when they live in a world of counterfeit everything? Here's why it's important. You live in a world that's counterfeit everything. The world we live in is like a facade. It's a fake I remember when I used to travel, I would travel between Chattanooga, you could go to Nashville on 24, and you could take 59 to Birmingham, and there was right in the intersection there, there was a big thing, I think it was called Crazy Eddie's Fireworks, okay? It was, the, the front of that building from the interstate was as, was bigger, as bigger, bigger than our new building. Huge, man, fireworks on it, Crazy Eddie's. One day, man, it's about 4th of July, so I'm going to Crazy Eddie's. I'm going to blow something up. I went into Crazy Eddie's. I walked in the door. Kids, you know, it's a single wide trailer on the back of this big wall. I go in there, had some firecrackers, some smoke bombs, you know. I'm like, Crazy Eddie? This baby Eddie, you know. It was a facade. And what was behind the fake was something that wasn't real. And that's what this world is. It presents us with this huge image of how great everything is. Meanwhile, when you step into it, it's not what you saw when you looked at the surface. So how do, we, how do we live authentically in a counterfeit world? Here it is, authentic courage. You ready? This is so cool. Watch, watch what happens. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three amigos, okay? All for one, one for all. They replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, hey, we do not need to give you a reply concerning this. If our God, whom we are serving, exists, he is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will rescue us, O king, from 
your power as well. Hold right there. All right? Now, now that's, that's the part we like. Listen, king, all right? We've got a God. I ain't worried about your furnace, okay? Because he will deliver us from the furnace because he's God. Now, we like that. We like claiming that. We like expecting that. We like telling our friends, man, I got a big God. He's going to take care of me. He's going to heal my sickness. He's going to give me that new job. He's going to take care of my relationship with my child who's been acting a fool. He's going to fix my relationship with my spouse. Man, that's a good God. He's going to take care of business. But listen, that, they didn't stop right there. The better verse follows this verse. Now watch this. He says, but if not, some translations say, but even if you don't, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't serve your gods, and we will not pay homage to the golden statue that you have erected. That's where the truth hangs out. When we get to a place with God where we can say, God, I need you to help me here. I have a prayer request. I'm expecting you to move in. God, I have mustard seed faith. God, I know that your word says if I tell that mountain to be cast into the sea with just a mustard seed of faith, it'll happen. So I'm claiming the victory. I'm owning the victory. I have mustard seed faith. I know you're going to act on my behalf. Real faith happens when we say, but God, even if you don't, it's going to be okay. Because you're God. You created me. You can do with me what you want to do with me for your glory. That's not fun on the front end. But if God is truly God, and he is, he'll work everything out on the back end, right? And so it's like they say, King, we don't know exactly what God's going to do here. But we know exactly what we're not going to do here. We're not going to bow down to the big skinny. We're not going to serve your lowercase g gods we already have a god and that spot is filled i'm gonna say that again we already have a god and that spot is filled we need to get to a place in our life where we have a god that spot is filled we don't have to keep looking to find our contentment to find what satisfies us what gives us peace and hope we have already found that god and so the question is now, where's Daniel? Where's their leader? Have you noticed that? He's not in the picture. He's not even mentioned. Where'd he go? He's their leader. He's the he's president of the club, okay? And he's not even here when they need him most. Some suggest that because of his position in Babylon, he may have tra been a traveler when they would occupy new lands. We don't know, but he's not there. Here's the beautiful part. When the leader's away, they still acted with integrity. When the leader is not in the picture, they still did what they were supposed to do. Now listen to me. Integrity is who we are when ain't nobody looking. Integrity is when we're at work and the boss took two weeks of vacation and we work as hard or harder and he's not or she's not even there integrity is when we're at home and everybody's gone and it's just us and the computer integrity is when when nobody's around how we live our life when nobody's watching why because there's always somebody watching 
God is always watching. He knows our every thought. He knows our every word. He knows our every deed. He's always watching. I remember one of the worst things my mom would ever tell me. Friday night would come and I'd have a date and I'd be going to pick up whoever it was and my mom would say, Joel, don't be doing anything you wouldn't want to be caught doing if Jesus comes back tonight. I'm like, why do you got to mess up a good Friday? Right? And the truth is he could come back tonight or today. It's one reason I love being at church on Sunday. I, just something in me believes Jesus is going to come back on Sunday. I want him to come back on Sunday to see who's faithful. <laughs> you know, oh, you were at the lake? Yeah, I went to the church first. I might come and get you. I hadn't made up my mind yet. Okay? Because we're, we're supposed to be together on Sunday meeting in worship. You know? And, and so God is always watching, and he could come back at any time. Now, uh, let's go on. So, so they just said, we're not doing that. Now we find a counterfeit hell given to us by a counterfeit God. Counterfeit hell because God's got a hell. Hell's real. Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. Okay, it's a real place. Two, two options for our eternal destiny. Heaven, hell. Counterfeit hell, watch this. He says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and his disposition changed toward these guys. And he gave orders to the, heat the furnace up seven times hotter than it was normally heated. And he ordered strong soldiers in his army to tie up these guys and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So those men who tied, up, tied them up while still wearing their cloaks their trousers, their turbans, and other clothes, and were thrown into the furnace of the blazing fire. But since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so excessively hot, the men who escorted them were killed by leaping flames. But those three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the furnace of blazing fire while still securely bound. Now, counterfeit hell. He says, you're not going to worship me? We're throwing you into the fire to be consumed. All right? He heats it up seven times hotter, so hot that his strong men, some translations say, his muscle-head soldiers threw them in, and they were consumed by the fire and the heat from the furnace. Now, how big is this furnace? Why have they got a big furnace? What are, that big, you know, what are, what are they cooking, the big furnace? You remember? He's got a 90-foot by 9 statue that they wrapped in gold. They're known as the nation of gold. They had taken all their gold or much of their gold, and they melted it down in this big furnace so they had this furnace available hey we're finished melting gold so let's just start melting some people all right and so that's what they threatened them with now i want you to understand something these guys had stood strong and demonstrated authentic courage and said our god is able to get us out of the furnace but even if he don't we're not bowing to you right you you would expect a little bit better they get cast into this furnace right i want you to understand something today Sometimes God allows you to be taken into a furnace, but it's not just to melt you away. It's to make you who you're supposed to be. Sometimes he allows us to go into the furnace, not to destroy us, but to develop us, to make us more of who we're supposed to be. I was in the foundry industry for several years. It's where you melt metal, pour it into a mold, and make a casting. Matt, uh, Matt over here is in the melting business. Here's the way that works. If you go out front here, you'll see a fire hydrant out by, by the cross. That's something that we made at Mueller in Chattanooga. Here's what would happen. You would buy railroad rails, railroad wheels, the old ones. You would buy car parts, engine, you know, engines, fenders, whatever. 
And they would all be out there just in a junk pile covered in, uh, in pigeon stuff. Okay? That's, that's, that's what it was. And they would bring it in and put it in a furnace and apply intense heat or energy into the metal. And that metal would begin to change colors, kind of glow red, orange, white, orange, yellow. And then it would become, at about 2,800, 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, it would become what we called white hot. In other words, when you looked in the furnace, you didn't see all the parts. It had become liquid. And it was white hot, ready to be poured. But there's something else about it. The furnace didn't just make it liquid. The furnace, with temperature and time, would make the impurities float to the top. It's amazing. And the furnace of our life, the hard times of our life, that's what it does. It makes us malleable. It softens us up a little bit. It gets us more pliable so he can form us so that we look more like Jesus, his son. And at the same time, when we get in those moments, he uses the heat and the pressure of those moments and the time to float off the impurities, which in the industry is called slag. Because he's trying to make you something more functional, something that he has designed you to be. All right. So they're in a, they're in a counterfeit hell. They've demonstrated authentic courage. I want you to know what you can expect when you demonstrate and exercise authentic courage. And this is what the world, the world today doesn't need more skinny, big skinny statues. What the world needs today is the following, an authentic visitation. Look what it says now. It says, so they're in the furnace. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar was startled and he quickly got up. And this is going to tell us something about his math skills and his memory. It says, and he said to his ministers, uh, wasn't, wasn't it three? I think that's kind of funny. Yeah, it was three. I mean, this is not rocket science. We put three in there. All right. He says, wasn't it three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? And they replied to the king, for sure, O king. And he answered, but I see four men untied walking around in the midst of the fire. No harm has come to them, and the appearance of the fourth is like that of a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire, and he called out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego emerged from the fire. Okay, so here it is. Who's the fourth guy? Jesus, right? Now, in biblical terms, it's called a Christophany. A Christophany means before Jesus showed up as a human being on this earth, which is the incarnate Christ, okay? God with a bod, okay? God with skin on. That's, that's the incarnation, okay? Before Jesus came, it's the pre-incarnation. It's Jesus showing up, but not in full bodily form. Jesus showed up in this furnace because they had demonstrated authentic courage. I want you to know something today. It has not changed. 2,000 years post-Jesus coming to this earth and dying on a cross, he still will show up in your furnace. 
He'll still walk around in your furnace with you. He'll still dive into the middle of your stuff with you. He's not a distant God. He's not a clockmaker who wound it up and walked away. He is a God that is intricately, intimately entangled and woven into this world. And he wants to be in your world too. In the New Testament, when Jesus was coming, they said his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. I want you to know if you're a Christian today, if you've given your life to Jesus, he's right here with you. He'll walk through your darkest day, he, right in the middle of your furnace. He will be right there with you. And then lastly, I want you to see, or next to lastly, a counterfeit believer. See, sometimes when God starts doing great things in the world of his church, in the lives of his children, people want to jump on the bus. They want to say, oh, yeah, I'm a believer. Watch what happens. Even Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, praise be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was sent, from, uh, sent forth his angels and has rescued his servants who trusted in him, ignoring the edict of the king and giving up their bodies rather than serve or pay homage to any god other than their god. I hereby decree that any people, nation, language, group that blasphemes the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be dismembered and his home reduced to rubble. For there exists no other God who can deliver in this way. Okay, so now Nebuchadnezzar, he's in, he's in, he's in, he just joined the church. Filled out a card. Went to the new member class. All right. I'm wondering if he can get a, a spot on the praise team, right? That's what it looks like. He ain't a bit more saved than Satan himself. You keep reading in the book. No, he didn't change his ways. He didn't change his ways at all. But... Boy, oh, pray, oh, you, God's a big God. Man, don't nobody talk bad about their God. You know, we, we have that today. Our counterfeit believers. We got them in our families. We got them in our workplace. We got them in our schools. We got them in our church. Okay? Sometimes we got them on the worship team. Sometimes we got them and we call them pastor. Okay? There's, there, when you start living for God, sold out like these Hebrew young men, there's people who will come along and be counterfeit believers. And they'll emerge. They'll, they'll follow you. You let them follow you. You witness to them. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the reason they were in Babylon. Missionaries. To witness on behalf of their great God. And finally, we have authentic blessings. When we have authentic courage and we experience an authentic visitation from God, we will experience authentic blessings. It says, then Nebuchadnezzar promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You don't have to worry about what the world can give you. You don't have to worry about what the world can take away from you. When you have the true and living God as your God, <clears throat> you have everything you need. A.D. 160. That's 160 years after Jesus ascended back to heaven. There was a bishop in the early church, and his name was Polycarp. Polycarp was, was a disciple of John, the one that wrote <clears throat> the gospel according to John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of the Revelation. And he was sold out, man, for Jesus. Sold out. And they hated him. Rome hated him. Much of the church hated him. The world hated him because he was unapologetic in what he stood for. And so they put a hit on him. They gave a, put out a warrant for his arrest. Well, one night, Polycarp went to sleep, and he dreamed of the soldiers coming to get him. 
And he knew it was going to happen. And he knew he was going to be martyred. And so he went away to a, a village home. And there he would pray for his coming day of martyrdom. And on a particular day, he heard a knock at the door. And he knew who it was. It was the soldiers who came to arrest him. So they came, and before he arrested them, he t uh, Polycarp told the soldiers, he says, before we go away, can I have you some lunch prepared while I go pray one final time? He went to his chambers to pray for two hours while they fed the soldiers. The soldiers took him back, and he stood before the proconsul. The proconsul said, first of all, because they pretended to be godly, they said, first of all, um, uh, Detest all atheists. And Polycarp said, down with the atheist. And then they looked at him and they said, now swear reproach upon Christ and we will set you free. In other words, renounce your faith and allegiance to Jesus and we'll set you free. History records this. It says, Polycarp looked at the proconsul and he said, if you imagine for a moment that I would do that, then I think you pretend that you don't know who I am. Hear it plainly, I am a Christian. Eighty and six years have I served Jesus Christ, nor has he ever done me any harm. How then could I blaspheme my king who saved me? Proconsul looked at him and they said, I have wild animals here. And I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Polycarp looked at him and he said, call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. I will be glad, though to be changed from evil into righteousness on this day. They said, well, if you despise the animals, we'll have you burned. He looked at them and said, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. So they prepared the fire. They stacked up the wood. They put the cross there. They came with hammers and nails to nail him to the cross. Polycarp looked at him. He says, no nails required. The grace of my Savior who has protected me to this day will give me strength to stand in the fire. He stood in the fire and they ignited his body and it burned in front of the arena. The arena witnesses say that as his body burned, it didn't smell like the stench of burning flesh, but his body put off a sweet aroma that filled the arena. That's what we're supposed to live like. And yet church, Christians, individuals, we jump back and forth. We straddle the fence between the world and God day in, day out. And we miss what this life is truly supposed to be about. This life, your life, when you were rescued by Jesus, when he saved your soul, he wants your life to demonstrate authentic courage because you've had an authentic visitation with Jesus and you walk in authentic blessings no matter what this world has to say no matter what this world can do to you if you'll bow your heads Father we thank you that you've done everything to give us everything we need you've done everything to offer us life and peace and hope and a future 
You've done everything to offer us an eternal existence in your presence, separated from what we deserve, which is the, the, the torture of an eternal place called hell. God, it is my prayer on this day that if there's someone here that's never experienced grace, never experienced forgiveness, never experienced a moment in life when they feel an invitation from the Holy Spirit of God into your family, that this would be their day. That it will be an undeniable knock on their heart's door. An invitation that we would respond and let you come in to save us. God, I pray if there's someone here like that today that needs to be forgiven, that needs to be saved, that they would simply humble their hearts and say, Father God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe for whatever reason I didn't come for this today, but your Holy Spirit or something is speaking into the depth of my soul, making me aware that you love me. I receive your love. I want Jesus to come into my life to forgive me of all of my sin. I want the Holy Spirit to take up residence in me to help me live for you from this moment forward through eternity. I thank you, God, for choosing to love somebody like me so much that you would come to this earth and die in my place. Thank you for saving me today. And for the rest of us, God, help us begin one moment at a time, one day at a time to exercise and demonstrate and to live with authentic courage, not mustered up from our own strength, God, but something that emerges from the reality that you take up dwelling in us, that you, God, are our personal God. So that, God, people will look at our lives and know that we're different and they will want and desire what it is that we have. Because we're blessed. No matter what happens in this life, we have an eternal blessing waiting for us with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we singing through the fire again? We sang a song a minute ago, the last one called Through the Fire. One of my favorites. If you're born again, it ought to be one of your favorites. Just say it. Okay? We're going to stand up. We're going to sing that song. Now, I hadn't, I hadn't put any plants to come along and punch you in the throat if you're not singing. But you ought to fake it if nothing else. Okay? I want to invite you to stand. If you know Jesus and all that he's done for you, it's a moment now that we get to worship him. Amen? Let's sing. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.